Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating some of the finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. The ice cream surfer. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. The Puerto Rican Thunderdog. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the episode, we would like to issue uh, the usual couple of reminders. First of all, please do visit our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, you'll find it. There's all kinds of videos on there, from the mini-series that Chris has made called Hard Drop, which is looking at Tetrasolite games from the Annals of Time, and we're uploading streaming content. You can watch Chris play through my Super Mario Maker 2 Super World, and you can watch me and Chris play through Streets of Rage 4 in co-op. Minty has also now finished his Super Mario Maker run of Super Oath Nange World as well, so that should be appearing soon. So yes, please subscribe if you want to make sure that you do not miss out upon that. Also, we have a Patreon page. If you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents, you can find a whole host of amazing perks that you can get in exchange for a few pennies of pledgery from yourselves. Stuff like exclusive bonus content, deleted scenes, outtakes, whole bonus episodes, custom artwork, just oh it's great like what a bounty so if you like what we're doing and you fancy supporting us just a little bit more we would very much appreciate that and hopefully you will feel the reciprocation in the absolute absurdly awesomeness of our patreon perks so this week we have our 29th favorite video games of all time but before we dive into talking about video games it's time to return to the quiz and the score is currently standing at 37 points to Chris and 33 to Minty. That's a nice lead, isn't it? For now. <laughs> I don't know why I always affect this confidence and I always let myself and others down. <laughs> They're rooting for you, Minty, and you're just, you're just not pulling your weight. They are. Everyone is. Even me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the unbiased quiz master. <laughs> exactly. What video game did... Debbie Booth by for Minty Booth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. In The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina oh. of Time, what is the name of the fairy companion Nabby. that accompanies... Ah, <sighs> oh, there it is. I, I would have got that. Of course, Minty straight in there. Well, yes, of course. Indeed. It is Navi. Well done, Minty. You pulled another point back. It is now 34 points to Minty and 37 to Chris. So, yeah, narrowing that lead. Well okay. done. Ooh. So, what have we been playing this week? Chris, what have you been playing? For me this week, it's been, what, a week of returning to older games for a change. I, I, I often just continue to kind of add more things to the backlog pile that I'm never going to finish. But I, I went back and actually played some stuff that I've had ongoing. After restarting it around the time I talked about it on the podcast... I have now beat Thumper with all S ranks. Oh, congratulations. What an absolute huge task that, I mean, that was. I feel it's honestly, it's an achievement. I didn't think I'd have the skills to do <laughs> because, because it's, 
I don't know, it's a hard game, like like I mentioned when I talked about it yeah. and, and when you mentioned it as well. But I, I think it's actually the game makes itself as accessible as it can be to let you try if, if you want to accomplish this stuff. Mm. So the, the way it's set out is like every stage, like I mentioned, is in subsections. Every subsection needs an S rank to, to get one overall for the stage, but you can restart any individual one before you move on. So it's it can still be a real grind. Like individual levels sometimes took me forever, you know, these, these little sub-stages. But it means that if I knew I was already kind of like 10 stages deep, that progress was almost banked and I could just keep grinding the next one until I got the S and moved on. Yeah. And, and that was much more doable than kind of like having to focus for a, a couple minutes at a time rather than like a 40 minute section in one go without making any <laughs> errors, which is uh, unreasonable. <laughs> totally unreasonable. Like, unfortunately, the only exception to that restart rule is the very final boss of every level. And frustratingly, you don't get told your grade for that little section until you've beaten it and essentially you've gone past the point of no return. And for the most part, I was like, yep, yeah, that's fine. Got hit all the notes. That's that's great. That's the S rank done. And that was okay up until the final, final stage, level nine, which had already taken me hours to get through and, and grind my way through. And I had beaten it, I thought, absolutely perfectly. Who already put my like hands in the air mm. <laughs> with, the, with the headset on. I was sat in the lounge on my own, just like fist pumping to <laughs> no one. Uh, and then it, ca- it came up in huge letters to say like, a rank uh, and and at that point i just tore the headset off and went to bed oh, no. <laughs> it was like we're, we're not doing that again we're not doing that again but the the next day when i'd calmed down I, I did it properly and got through and it was yeah a huge achievement to to do so really yeah, really proud well done i've also continued with alice madness returns playing with georgia ah yes well, i think we're about halfway through now so we're probably 10 or so hours into it i'm still really enjoying it like the the combat's good the platforming sort of puzzle sections are nice but i i think it's I, the more i've played it i've sort of been convinced that this is very much a byproduct of that era where all games felt the need to pad themselves out and a lot of games like on the 360 and the ps3 just had unnecessary multiplayer modes and that was like a big thing to uh, kind of yeah. extend replay and if they didn't have a multiplayer mode there was almost this like unwritten thing where developers felt well we just have to make the game longer to compensate that we can't have a death match in it and and alice is one of those that it's like i feel like i'm done like 10 hours this game i've really enjoyed that should be the end point for me and every level is just like that little bit longer than i feel it needs to be and i, and I think that is that kind of I don't know, trying to give players a bit more value for money on like their 40, 50 quid purchase at the time. And it's just not how I want to play games anymore. I don't have that much yeah. time to commit to kind of like a, a linear story. So I think we will get through it eventually, but it's it's sort of the the sheen has come off it a bit because I do feel like I'm just doing the same things in slightly different permutations. Yeah. And the last thing that I've started playing again in the last two, three days is Drummer Forager, the game we all really enjoyed. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's finally got its updates, which brings it in line with the PC build. And they were due in January, so we're about six months late for whatever reason. But I love the game too much to really care. Like, like I, I really yeah. enjoyed it when I played it the first time through. And I, I booted it up again. I was really hoping it would fix the bug I had in my save that meant I couldn't get 100%. Yeah. And it's been patched, so that can't happen to new saves, but it's not been patched oh, to fix no. existing ones. So I, I sort of yeah. made the jump and thought... Okay, am I gonna am I gonna put another twenty odd hours into this? Do I want to start a new game to see what extra stuff there is? And I weighed it up and went, "Yep, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it." And I'm already ten hours deep after like two three days. It's it's really good. Oh, nice, loads of new stuff. Like thoroughly recommended. It's a game that I think would absolutely rank on my list if I was doing the list now. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Really, 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 really happy with that game. 
Big fan. Excellent. Minty, what have you been playing this week? Oh, you know me. Paper Mario? <laughs> That's it, yeah. We yeah. do know you. I've got Paper Mario and the Origami King, and I've been playing it a lot. How are you getting on with it? How are you enjoying it? So, I am having a good time with it. As to be said, it is. I think it's a good game. It's it's very slick. It's very polished. It's It's enjoyable. But I think at this point, it's time to, not just for me to accept, but for the world to accept that <laughs> we're not getting another thousand years door mm. and that's fine because just because mario is in it doesn't mean that it's the greatest rpg of all time there are so many others like tales of vesperia octopath traveler all the final fantasy games these are all the sort of popular ones not to mention all the uh, wonderful indie rpgs that have and are coming out and just because we want something that has mario in it doesn't mean that it's automatically better so i think the series has evolved away from being the Mario story series into the Mario is made of paper series. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> I really like the battle system. Yeah, me too. I really, really like it. I like how it's more of a puzzle now. It doesn't quite fix the issues that I had with the combat in Sticker Star and Color Splash mm. um, because it is completely different. But by having weapons with durability instead of just like a one-time use sticker... Yeah. That's that's already so much better. Yeah. <laughs> so much better. Bosses are really fun. Yeah, very, very cool boss fights. I've enjoyed them massively. Yeah. And and all very different as well. Like you really do need to think about how you're doing them and Yes. And just, just the the general just battle system of being in the round, I think is fantastic. Mm. It's so it's really fun. Yeah. And uh I know some reviews criticised it saying it you know, it got boring, but it hasn't to me at all. And one of the nice things the game does is when you get sufficiently powerful, some enemies you can just defeat in the overworld. You yeah. don't have to battle, which is great. So you're not just kind of grinding through it. And also because Mario doesn't get experience points, he doesn't level up like that in the game. You only really benefit going into battles to get coins. Mm-hmm. So if you don't feel like battling something, you can just avoid it. And you're not like you're not missing out, which is really nice as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they've done away with things. In the last two games, you had to collect like massive real real world things, and you don't in this game, and that is so much better. They were a, <laughs> they were a blight in those two games. Absolutely yeah. hated them. They didn't belong. They didn't work. Uh, if you didn't use them correctly, you got told off in battle. Hated them. Yeah, I think what you said about it being streamlined, I think, is right. It's it feels very very slick and very focused. Like there aren't that many things you need to keep track of. Like in each area, you need to find the toads that have been, whatever they have been, captured, transformed, imprisoned, whatever. Yes. You need to find hidden question mark blocks and you need to fill in all of the confetti holes. Yes. And the map system makes it very easy to keep track of, of those things. And obviously you get some sort of gadgets and gizmos and stuff to help you find things. And it's just, yeah, it's just really, it's just really fun. Like it feels like in going back to sort of, going back to some of the old areas to see if I could like use some of my new abilities to you know find some more toads or find some more question mark blocks or just have a little look around see what I spot that's different it reminded me a bit of Luigi's Mansion oh yes in that sort of play style that sort of like 3D area exploration thing and because that then it was that side of it that sold me on the game because I was I was probably going to give it a miss not because I didn't want to get it or thought it was going to be crap I mean, I, I've said before how I had a fantastic time playing Thousand Year Door, and that's the only that's the only one I've played. And 
because of the nature of how you move around and stuff in Paper Mario games, I've always found them quite slow because Mario is quite slow and that always sort of tended to grate on me a little bit. Yeah. Which hasn't bothered me in this at all. And it, I, but when I saw the reviews and sort of say, seeing all of the all of the ways of sort of little things for you to find and all the ways the toads were hidden and, and it was great. It was really, really good fun. And plus you get a, a car that is a big shoe and that's uh, and that speeds <laughs> you up and that's really fun. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm having a fantastic time with it. I mean, I don't have the same relationship with the series as you do, Minty. Like I said, I played Thousand Year Door. But I played that once, and that was that was it. And I haven't really had perception of how the series has changed uh, for better or for worse uh, over time. But um, yeah, I'm 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 really enjoying it. It's really good fun. It's really charming. It's it's constantly making me giggle and smile. There's some great song and dance numbers, um, <laughs> which is fantastic. What else do I like about it? Well, while you're thinking, let's move on to what I absolutely hate about the game. <laughs> okay. What, what what do you what do you not like about the game? Okay, so we'll start off with something that I don't like, and then something that I absolutely loathe. Oh dear. Oh, we're going downhill. So many people online have been talking about how Bobby the Bobom is a good character. And I know that you like him, John. I do, yes. Mm. I don't know why people like him. I thought he was rubbish. He was just a complete nothing character with a complete sort of exposition dump in the last five seconds of him being part of your party. So you spent sort of you spent the whole chapter with him there just being like, Haha, I'm just gonna stay outside. I'm totally not scared. No explanation given as to why he's just sort of walking around and not blowing up until the f- the very last bit where it's just like dumped on you. I would have appreciated a little bit of a build up like, no, oh, this character knows nothing about himself. Let's at least have some questions asked like, why don't you blow up? Where did you come from? That sort of thing. Instead of it just being like, here's a bob he's going to follow you around now. Oh, and now that you've um, now that you've done this chapter, here's everything about him and a story thing is going to happen and he's not with you anymore. It didn't have a good flow for me. And every other character that joins you in the party at least has some use instead of just being somebody who's travelling around with you. That's fair enough. I disagree. I liked him. I thought he was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Fight! 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 Useless, but fun. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Before I get to what I absolutely hate, I haven't seen Bowser since. And given how he's sort of this big folded like napkin thing, I thought he was going to be in... the game a lot more and I really like Bowser in Paper Mario games I think he's a good character and he's fun to be around I wanted to see more of him I wanted to see how, how with his brutish arrogance he dealt with being a folded up little thing that was funny to watch walk around <laughs> that's fair enough and now the thing that I absolutely loathe about this game which is quite close to me saying I don't like this game completely oh dear yeah <laughs> So when it comes to puzzle solving and going through dungeons, it's incredibly patronising. There's one particular dungeon that I'm thinking of where it has it has a particular puzzle where you're like, okay, well, there's I don't know what I'm looking at here. So you sort of bumble through it. And you're like, oh, okay, that didn't work. I'll go and reset it. And then you come back again and you're like, okay, I think I know what to do now. So I'm going to try and do it like this. Okay, I nearly got it. I just need to do that thing instead of that thing. So I'll go out and reset it. And when you come out for the third time, um, it assumes that you're not really understanding it at all from the get-go. So it makes the things that you're supposed to hit darker like to give you a very overt hint after only like three three tries. I hate it. It's so patronising. Like, let me figure it out by myself. I totally understand that. But also, I think it's important to remember that this game is made, I think, predominantly for kids. But I think that there should be an option to be able to turn turn that sort of thing off. Yeah. It doesn't give you the space to think 
it doesn't it doesn't spoil anything for me to be honest but um you know because i think okay well yeah i know that if this was a a kid playing this they probably would be stuck because i'm stuck Um, and they and they probably do need the help uh, whereas i can probably think it through or text screenshots to minty and say minty i can't find the star help me yeah i guess it's it's kind of like an overspill from the core mario games isn't it because for the last few of those both the 2d and 3d ones if you fail a stage a certain number of times that they're desperate to give Mm. you extra power-ups or invincibility or or something yeah but even then that's still an opt-in system like you have to hit yeah the i suppose you get the, the little prompts thing. don't you and it says do you yeah. want luigi's magic hat or whatever it is that it gives you <laughs> so yeah yeah maybe it's a bit different just having it forced on you like it, it just drains any satisfaction that you'd get from solving a puzzle by yourself but there we go i just need to be better at solving them first time that's the real take home out of this yeah yeah <laughs> but there we go there we go hopefully it doesn't dampen your enjoyment of the rest of the game no i mean i'm still enjoying it good good shall we move on to the rankings Let's do it. Starting this week, we have my game. Jonathan Dunn. My 29th favourite video game of all time is it's another of the more recent games I played prior to compiling my list. Now, in the past, I have been accused by some members of this group <laughs> of playing games rather obsessively. <laughs> oh. And this is true. I, I, I mean, I am a bit of an all or nothing type of person. Like, once I'm invested in a game... I'll play it as much as I can until I finish it. But I think the game this week is 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 the game that I've ever played with the most obscene level of focus of, of any game I've ever played. I, I got it the day it came out. I put in like 40, 50 hours into the game, 100%ed it and traded it in three days later. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the reason for my obsession with the game is because it was just incredibly fun to play. The game is just unbearably well made in terms of 3d platforming games it set a new benchmark that is just so far ahead of anything that came before it it's super mario odyssey i love it Ah. i want to be buried with it (laughs) (laughs) i mean the weird thing is like in terms of the amount of time i've actually owned a game this is definitely the game i've had the least amount of time with (laughs) that's on my list like by quite some way so you know it says a lot about the quality of the experience that i have with the game that it's cemented its way in my what now top 30 favorite video games of all time now minty spoke about the game quite a few weeks back now and you spoke about the way that mario odyssey was revealed at e3 alongside like all of those games boasting photo real graphics like the most advanced lighting ever seen hollywood a-list actors in main roles and then nintendo go you throw your hat on a frog and you are the frog and win the entire expo (laughs) and and it's true like when nintendo showed off the way that the cappy mechanics worked similar to what i was saying about super liminal last week and when i first saw portal the mechanics in Odyssey were just so imaginative and my brain just whizzed away thinking about all the ways that they were going to implement this new stuff. And it's funny because like, I always find that I roll my eyes a little bit when a new Mario game is released alongside its particular gimmick. Like, uh, it's a new Mario game and, and you can be a penguin or a bee or a cat or you've got a super soaker strapped to your back or you've got a sentient hat with eyes <laughs> and it always seems a little bit tokenistic because it's like oh we've got to have something new but then when i see how those gimmicks are actually utilized and i understand where the reasoning behind where it comes from then i realize obviously the full kind of potential of, of what they're what they're envisaging and being able to use cappy to possess enemies opened up 
a whole new range of abilities and movement mechanics and creative ideas because everything that you could take control of had its own physics, its own abilities, its own control nuances. Like the T-Rex was, was slow and cumbersome, but you could smash through rocks with him. Or, you know, you could be a frog that would shuffle around quite slowly, but could jump really high. Or those little woodpecker birds that you could become and then use your beak to latch onto walls and use it as a spring to propel yourself in, you know, upwards or onwards. Or like the fireballs leaping out of the lava that would allow you to then cross lava without being hurt. Or you could just become a Goomba and then just jump on other Goombas to build an enormous Goomba tower. Just so, so many ideas in each transformation that, that was in the game. It was j- extraordinary. But nothing could have prepared me for how Cappy actually worked outside of that core mechanic of, of you know, using it to possess things. Because like how Cappy actually worked from purely movement-based perspective was utterly extraordinary. Similar to how like when you got the hang of using the flood jetpack in Super Mario Sunshine, you could you could use it to get around like it was second nature, from using like the various hover mechanics to like spraying a bit of water on the ground, diving on it and using it to slide at a really rapid pace. And in Odyssey, you could throw Cappy, bounce off Cappy as part of your arsenal of movement mechanics and combine that with jumping, triple jumping, wall jumping, diving, rolling. And you were just so fully equipped to be able to handle any environment that Nintendo could throw at you and throw environments at you. They did. I mean, they bloody did. <laughs> I mean, that was the other thing that was the selling point for Mario Odyssey, aside from Cappy and being able to turn a T-Rex into Hercule Poirot. It was the titular Odyssey that Mario was going on and the different worlds that you were going to explore. And they, I mean, very much were different worlds. They weren't just different levels, different areas. They were, you know, it's so, so different to anything that we'd seen before in Mario games. And it allowed the designers just to get really weird with it, which was great. I mean, much like everyone knows where they were when they heard that Princess Diana had left us. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone will remember the first time they saw New Donk City. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was on holiday in Portsmouth in Marriott. I was on holiday, I think, down in uh, Devon somewhere with my dad and brother. And you still managed to tune into E3. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Nintendo not only opened a door to a whole new world, like they also opened the door to a whole trench of questions about the wider lore of the <laughs> Mario universe. Like, I'm quite surprised that in my obsessive slightly sleep-deprived state that playing through New Donk City didn't give me a full existential crisis. (laughs) And I do kind of wish that Nintendo had pushed things further with the weirdness in the other worlds, which, even though they, you know, they did have their own distinctive style and look, you know, you still had the obligatory sand, underwater, ice worlds, you know, a beach world, a Bowser world, a food-themed world, and... But they all felt very distinctly Mario in terms of design. But... You know, they really did push the envelope in with with some of these designs, specifically New Donk City. And also one area I really love was the Woodland Kingdom, yeah. which just had a, I mean, it had a really great aesthetic to it. And it had this weird and sinister subforest, like underground section two. And, and that was great. And also the Lost Kingdom, which was like, has all the poisonous sea. And I absolutely adored the final worlds that were in the game that sort of felt like Nintendo just going off the chain right at the end of the game to show you the full extent of the new mechanics. 
Like, firstly, you had the Moon Kingdom, which, for a start, had lower gravity, so it meant you had a lot more freedom in terms of, you know, how you were jumping around, and and then there was the Dark Side world as well, which was so fun. Nintendo just really kind of just opened the play box fully at this point, and so you could become, like, a frog, and you had to jump in near-zero gravity whilst climbing up a huge building. It was great fun. And then, in addition to the Dark Side, there was also the Darker Side, and... On there, there was just this one level, which was this like ultimate gauntlet of areas, which made you use all of the different abilities, movement mechanics, tricks, and ideas that you've learned throughout the whole game. And it's it was just fantastic. And it really is like the final challenge. There aren't any checkpoints, but I mean, the game is a, is a bit kinder to you by sort of giving you some hearts scattered throughout. And one of the things I realised is you can also you could also use the amiibo that were compatible with the game to spawn power ups as well. Um, which we did make the area, you know, a lot more sort of forgiving and easy to, to get through. But if you manage to, to, you know, do that whole run unassisted, it's, it's got to be one of the hardest pieces of platforming in, in any video game. I did it. Yeah. I didn't have the amiibo at the time, so I, I did get through it. I was really proud of myself. You should be, because that is bloody, bloody tough. It's a long time to sort of maintain your focus mm. and, uh, and and not lose your cool. As we've said, well, we've said this like loads of times on the podcast before about how satisfying it is to spy a goal and then engineer the perfect string of movements to enable you to reach that goal. And we've used Mario Odyssey as the comparison point for this because it's never been done so fluidly and smoothly, certainly not in 3D, as it is in Mario Odyssey. And that's by, by a very, very long margin as well. Mm. And it, it meant that it was it was never not fun to explore the entire world, hunt down every single power moon. You know, and there's a thousand of them. And, you know, some of them stretch your brain and like speed of reactions really far as well, like using the boosting mechanic in the Sand Kingdom to run along a ruined wall in an underground area. I remember that one being really, really tough. Or I think it was, I can't remember where it was, it was right near the end of the game where you had to jump along a platform and then you fell down and then you had like a Banzai build chasing you all the way back to the Power Moon and you had to pull off a series of like pixel-perfect long jumps over these like tiny little platforms. And that, I mean, I, I think that took me probably the longest, I think. But also there's a few areas that take your hat away from you, which seriously limits your movement mechanics. And I love this because it was very much like, right, this is pure Mario now. And there's one of these areas where I remember there's like piranha plants spitting poison at you across a series of invisible platforms (laughs) that are only then revealed when poison lands on it. So you can't. So you can't then walk on it. And that was incredibly tough. Another one that took me ages was this uh, one in the dark side where you had to hit P blocks to generate a series of roads ahead of you and then get to the next P button before the platforms disappeared. And there were times doing this one that I was absolutely sure they'd made something that was impossible. Or, you know, I was like, yeah, this this can't be done. I must need to unlock something else or, you know, get a, be able to fly or get a car or something because you cannot do this. But you, you could. And you just had to make use like perfect rolling and diving movement abilities to traverse these areas as far as you could whilst, you know, also trying to negotiate steps and enemies and slopes. Because if you got one of these just slightly off and you and you clipped the edge of something, it would it would stop your momentum and, and you'd be dead. But obviously the hardest moon to get in the entire game was just doing the jump rope challenge in New Donk City. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely awful. Oh. The only way I could do it was by turning the sound off and just sort of committing to a rhythm that was entirely self-generated. Because if you try to do it by reaction speed alone, 
by watching it, I just don't think you just could, it was so you really had to zone out and and uh, get in the groove to do that. In the entire game, like you say, there's 999 moons you can unlock, and the ones to do with the skipping rope challenge were the only ones I didn't enjoy. Yeah, and, and that's quite, yeah. that's quite and that's, damning, that's right. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this game is 999 out of a thousand in terms of giving it a rating. That's, <laughs> you'd round that up at that point. You'd round it up, you know. <laughs> You know, I, th- I think it says a lot about the game that, like I said, we've used it as a reference when talking about loads of other games. Like I mentioned it talking about Ori and the Blind Forest. And, I mean, it's a huge credit to the game that such a modern game has become part of the lexicon of talking about video games in general so quickly. But that's, you know, that's Nintendo, isn't it? Like, they don't they don't release a game, certainly not one in, like, a core franchise, unless they've taken the whole industry a step further with it. And it just makes me so, so excited for, you know, what they do next with 3D Mario and, well, just in general. I just bloody love Nintendo. One last thing I will mention, and I have mentioned it in passing before, but it cannot go without reiterating just how incredible the HD rumble is in this game. And for one reason, and for one reason only... And that's the fizzy sea in the seaside yeah. kingdom. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for a start, good. it's a lovely idea to have a sea made of sparkling water. And the way it feels when you jump into it and are swimming around in it is nothing short of miraculous and entirely magical. Like, oh my goodness. It gave me so much joy. Just a wonderful experience. And I mean, just an absolutely wonderful game. What a bloody game. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to go on too much because I'm sure you've assumed this will rank in my list somewhere. Yeah. But it's 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 hard for me to really quantify how much I enjoyed this game. <laughs> like w- when I played it uh, over the course of a half term, I, I got it midway through a half term and played it like basically all day, every day for the time I had off that week. Yeah. And each day it was like the first day I was like, I think this is probably the, my favorite Switch game. And then by the next day, I was like, I think this could be my favorite Mario game. And then the next day was, I think this could be one of the best games of the generation. And then after that, it was like, I think this is one of the best games I've ever played. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it just went up so effortlessly every time. You know, nothing was stopping me having these thoughts. They, they just they just came as I was playing the game. I just, I just loved it. Loved it so much. Brilliant game. Moving on, we have Minty's game. Minty, can you please tell us about your 29th favourite video game of all time, please? Yeah, I can. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. Every day, I walk past two bus stops on my way home from work. The first one's my (laughs) favourite. The first one's my favourite. It has an advert for the local college on it that has two people who are so uncomfortable looking that you just know they were elected for the photo shoot without their consent by their course mates <laughs> or their student reps. <laughs> but it's on both sides of the awkward spectrum. So the guy on the left is smiling for sure, but he has eyes that scream, why me, God? And then the lady next to him is absolutely phoning in an expression that says, yes, I'm learning, but I'm also being fulfilled. One take, minimum effort. It's amazing. That one has nothing to do with today's game, but the second bus stop has an advert for Animal Crossing with the tagline, life at your own pace, which is a nice sentiment, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, If today's game that I'm talking about had such a tagline, it would be life at your own pace, but you're pumped full of steroids and mind-altering drugs. And the car you're driving has a jet engine and is also on fire. Stay a while. Sometimes you want a game that just takes you on an extraordinary journey. Sometimes you want a fun party game. 
Sometimes you just want to blow shit up or take out your frustrations on a city full of people in a consequence-free trail of absolute mayhem. There are games that take you places, and there are games that just let you escape. Saints Row 4 is gleeful, puerile, self-referential escapism, and I absolutely love it. If you've never played a Saints Row game, then it would be a good idea to take a step back and look at the franchise. GTA, but irreverently fun. That in itself is an irreverently fun summation because I've never played a GTA game outside of a friend inputting cheats to get a tank on a bridge in GTA 3. <laughs> I don't know if Saints Row was the equivalent of, uh, we're not getting McDonald's, we have food at home when comparing it to GTA <laughs> back in the day. But uh, with the release of number four, it's become a totally different beast. Uh, moving forward from a vague lampooning of the fetishization of gang culture and its subsequent capitalization in Saints Row 3, number four opens with the most popular gang in the world running the US government, and another worldly menace destroys the Earth. The game then takes place in a simulation of the fictional city of Steelport, uh, the setting for the previous game, as the evil conqueror Zinyak attempts to torment the leader of the Third Street Saints in an oppressive technoir facsimile of his beloved territory, peppered with threats born from the nightmares of his incarcerated crew. So you do what any puckish rogue would do and tear it down from the inside before destroying Zinyak in front of his loyal subjects and taking control of his empire. Just like Link's Awakening last week, the story is not that important. Yes, we're going to depose one or many oppressors by the end of the game, but that's just what happens in these games. The real joy comes from the relentless tearing up of shit leading to that climax. Not only that, but the journey you go on outside of the simulation, and the friends you rescue along the way. <laughs> As I mentioned, the rest of your crew have been captured by Zinyak's forces, and it's up to you to rescue them. You get a lot of character development that was missing in Saints Row 3, like cutscenes, loyalty missions, uh, parody romance options, that sort of thing. It's not quite at Saints Row 2 levels, but it's still good. And because it's set in a simulation, you get superpowers. Super speed, uh, big boy jumps, telekinesis. It's basically Crackdown, but instead of working for a seemingly benevolent organisation with Ooh. sinister secret motivations, <laughs> you're a seemingly malevolent individual hell-bent on revenge and rescue. Like, sit down, chill out, tear some shit up. Absolute poultice of a game. <laughs> Turn it on, zone out, cause hundreds of millions of dollars of property damage, and just recharge your batteries. Love it. What did you play it on originally, Minty? The 360. And then is that the one that you played on the Switch as well, or is that a different one that got the port? So I actually played 2, 3, and 4 on the 360, and I've got the, I guess, the expanded definitive editions of three and four on the switch okay i couldn't remember which ones had got ported now yeah i'm i'm, I'm, I'm waiting for saints row 2 to maybe get a like a remastered edition mm. hopefully that'll come out soon because that's a game <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think when you've mentioned saints row before talking about whichever one you were playing on the switch at the time i've i've played the first one on the 360 it was the first game i bought for the console and i really loved it but it was just the the GTA at home that you mentioned earlier. Mm. And then I think I, for some reason, I just never played the series once it found its own identity from two onwards. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a shame. I feel like I've missed out a bit on that franchise because I did really enjoy the groundwork of it in the first game. I just mm. never never gave it the time after that for whatever reason. Yeah, I never played the first one. I jumped in with number two and never looked back. Yeah. I mean, much like Crackdown last week, this is a franchise that has totally, totally passed me, uh, passed me by as well. I genuinely didn't know that they were highly regarded by people that know what they're talking about 
as they <laughs> apparently are. <laughs> I just sort of, you know, I just dismiss them as like, oh yeah, like you said, like poor man's GTA. But yeah, my interest has certainly been piqued, and I might see if I can. Yeah, I'm tempted to give give one or both of those franchises a whirl at some point. Yeah, do it. Lastly, but not leastly, we have Christopher Dow. That's me. Chris, can you please tell us what your 29th favourite video game of all time is, Number please? 29. We've talked about a lot of games now, haven't we, in total? Many. <laughs> I mean, outside of our lists themselves, we play a lot of games mm. each week. We, we've covered a lot of ground since doing this show. And... For me in particular, obviously, I hoard games that I buy physically, but I still buy loads of cheap digital stuff as well. I, I have a lot of games around me, just surrounding me. And and the other day before I went to bed, uh, I was I had the Switch on and I just popped on like some cheap eShop thing I'd got for a quid or whatever. And, and Georgia turned around and said, how many different games do you play a day? And like a really like honest question. And, and I couldn't really answer it. Like, I, I know, like, in comparison to how you said you played Odyssey, Jonathan, it's like you just hammered that over three, four days. Every waking hour was was playing Mario, and then it was done, and then it was gone. Yeah. And and with me, it's like I pick apart little bits, and I play five minutes of that, and I play an hour of that, and I come back to an hour of that, and I, I just jump all over the place. And, I mean, in terms of my household now, like, granted, Georgia, in terms of how she plays games, she's now played The Sims 4 for just shy of 2,000 hours, her laptop says. Oh, my. So I think it's fair to say the pair of us have slightly different gaming habits. But the, the wider point of kind of having this much stuff around me really got me thinking that, despite the fact we three on this show have, have played a lot of stuff, there's been a, a fair amount of crossover on our list so far, mm. and, and I'm sure more to come as we get towards the top. I know you're both saving Sonic 3D <laughs> for top 10. <laughs> but I, th- I thought it was interesting that even though we have this sort of like, especially me, occasionally like scattergun approach to, to playing games, mm. the three of us clearly have certain markers on how we classify good games because there is so much kind of like, you know, interwoven connectivity in, in what we've listed. But more interesting to me is is when we have like that sort of serendipity or, or synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, of entries like Fantasy Life yeah. that land very close to one another. And obviously that was the, the real poster child because we had it three weeks running. Or Panzer Dragoon Saga when me and you, Jonathan, had that within a week of each other. And today is another example of this. <laughs> Considering this preamble, what do you think my 29th favourite video game might be, Jonathan A. Dunn? Nights. It is nice into dreams. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I had an, I had an inkling last week when when I was writing it, thinking I reckon this is probably going to be around about here for for Chris, which is why I, I let myself go first, yeah. just in case, uh, <laughs> just in case it was, so I didn't have to uh, have to worry about that. When it happens, though, I you, I get such a shine, like my my whole mm. body warms up because it's it's like I say, <laughs> it's, it's lovely. Like we we have these different opinions on stuff, and we have certain franchises and games yeah. that we love individually. But when there are these ones that we we either all three of us or, or individually like a pair of us really really identifies with and gets and yeah. kind of holds in very similar regard clearly for for this kind of thing, it makes me feel like it's it's an even more special game because the, this like you know we weren't playing nights together when we grew up we didn't know each other when we when we had that as our our primary console but clearly it it meant something to us as young kids that it's informed a big deal of the other stuff we enjoy yeah and I mean. I can't possibly describe nights in the detail you did last week. It would be redundant. So if you if you <laughs> yeah. listen to last week's, there, there's your explanation of the game. Uh, if you haven't listened to last week's, do that first and then come back before I natter on about whatever <laughs> rubbish I'm going to say. Like a tiny refresher, 
uh, or like a tiny pricey. It's a game about an androgynous nocturnal ideation who flies around hybrid 2D and 3D race courses for score, glory, and expanded sense of self. <laughs> that, that's nights for you, I guess. It's pretty good. If you're trying that's to wrap good. it up. Yeah. And you mentioned last time, it's a game made by Sonic Team. It was a, a name of, you know, as a developer that meant quality around that time. So the Mega Drive Sonic titles, really great. I, I loved all of those. On the Saturn, we'd already had Sonic Jam as a collection. Later on, we'd have Burning Rangers that I loved as well and have talked about on this show. And you had Knights. And although by the, the Dreamcast, the influence was starting to wane a bit, I, I think it's impossible to deny their technical prowess of, of the platforms they worked on. And, and mainly their desire to do things just a little bit differently in the mid-90s to early 2000s. Because as you said last time, Knights is not an easy sell, I don't think. No. And it, it really does stand alone. I, I think the Saturn as a console, for as maligned as it's become, represented a time where a solid port of an arcade game was still a notable release. Mm. And, and we certainly don't understand that now because arcades have withered and died and, and everything else over the years. But back then it was like... It was the era of grand CD-based role-playing games and things like that. But at the same time, it was the era of the Saturn being the home to things like Sega Rally and Virtua Cop and, and other kind of like direct ports from the arcade. And, and I, when I was thinking about this, I think that's the context where Knights makes the most sense. Because as, as you mentioned last week, it is hard to classify as a game, but it's still undeniably a score-driven game. Yeah, It's, it's undeniably a short game that's designed around high replay value. And, and it's a game as well where its depth is not immediately apparent. So you can sort of play it and enjoy it for five, ten minutes and, and think, okay, I had a nice time. I didn't necessarily understand what was going on, but that was, that was quite fun. <laughs> and then it's something that the more time you give it, these individual sort of avenues open up a bit more and you, you come to understand what it's doing a bit more. I think as, as another comparison point, this is like a real deep dive, but a lot of the 2D shooters like Shmups of, of that era and I'm thinking specifically about one called Battle Garega. It never came out in the West, but but this game in particular, if you look it up, was like a, a real poster child for kind of obsessives of that genre. And it had a scoring system that was only really reverse engineered like 20 years later, that for people were playing it, not understanding why things were getting harder and easier, why things were worth different <laughs> scalable points and all this stuff, up until basically it was pulled apart for a modern port recently. And I think Knights does this in things like the, the Nightopian system. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's really esoteric. It's really obfuscated to the point where you could play it for an afternoon and not even notice it was there. Or you could play it obsessively for months if it was the only game you had as a kid and really start to understand. It's like, well, I did that and, and this thing changed. Or I, I did a little loop in that area and then the little the little man ran away. And does that represent something? Mm-hmm. Like all these things are just happening around you. And and it does have this this weird depth to it. There, there was a lot more to it than I think people gave it credit for. I think... Games like Knights, they're, they're, they're games, obviously, in, in that they are, you know, they, they can be played in a linear fashion. So there's sequential levels and bosses and credits and everything. But more for, for a title like this, I think Knights is like quite a non-linear game in that the experience is meant to be something that rewards repeat play and rewards having a more like cyclical approach to it. You're kind of, you're, you're almost meant to get to the end and then loop back to the beginning and then replay a stage you really enjoyed and go back to there for the music and, and refine some little secrets on there. And, and you hop all over the place. It, it's not so much a straight A to B experience. And, and I feel like that kind of wider theme, you know, it informs a lot more of the game than just its structure. So you've got this, this looping aspect of how the levels wrap around themselves. You've got the way that obviously the, 
all the stages take place in in the dreams of these two characters, Elliot and Clarice. Uh, and so you've got kind of like, you know, the, the way that days loop and, and day bookends night and, and onwards. And it's it's a game about cycles, I, I think. It's it's about kind of repeating and, and kind of re-experiencing and recontextualizing as you go and all these different things. And it it has a lot going for it that, again, as a kid, I, I didn't get. <laughs> so, you know, thinking about this when I made this list, I was thinking about the games I played as a kid, but I almost had to do this extra research sometimes to think about, okay, well, why did I enjoy that? And, and would it hold up today? What does it, what does it represent? And what does it do that was unique? Why, why do I want Knights to be this high on the list? It, it helps as well for, for a game that's this difficult to pigeonhole that it's gorgeous. Yeah. None of this higher thinking, like I said, played into my opinion when I was eight or nine years old. But I think the games that did, or the games that have held up for me best over the years are ones that do operate on multiple levels like this because you can take an example of something like watching the simpsons i loved it as a kid and it was a show that i I would watch whenever it was on tv and i'd record on vhs tapes and everything else but it's only really watching it again now as an adult that i have this extra appreciation for the writing because it's a show that worked for kids because it had recognizable young characters that you could latch onto and you could empathize and you could get behind bart and lisa and the other kind of neighborhood kids but it also works for adults because it's just about the push and pull of, of family life. And you, of course you wouldn't think about that as a kid. You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand necessarily kind of like relationship difficulties uh, or kind of like, uh, you know, working responsibilities and all these different things that are in, especially the early series of The Simpsons. And in terms of games, I, I think, you know, Nights is colourful and it's immediate and, and it has these goals that are communicated economically. So it, it does kind of like help a kid to understand you go left to right or, or you pick up these things and you give, get more score and a better grade. You know, you're told what you need to do to beat the game. And I'm sure when I was sat down cross-legged in front of my probably 12-inch CRT screen at the time, it was just like a visual fun time. But it has these scoring systems, like I said, and it's got these themes and, and weird proto-ecosystems that you mentioned last week. And, and the astonishing like pseudo-generative soundtrack stuff you know, there's all sorts of things that are going on that are kind of like made for the adults sat in the back of the room. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the people who are willing to kind of like really play it and think about what this is doing as a piece of, of interactive media. And I think for anyone that recognizes this as like an arcade based game with like score attack gameplay, when you start to get into that, that's when you really see there are lots of other things happening like underneath, like the underbelly of Knights. I, I think Knights into Dreams as a game could only have existed at that intersection in time. And I think the fact that it had that weird exclusive sequel that went heavy on like the story and tried to make it all a bit more gamey, it was evidence enough that this weird blend is what made the Saturn original so different. And it was kind of like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, There's a lot of games from that era that you could do like spiritual successes or you could do straight remakes or, or weird modern sequels and they just wouldn't, they wouldn't feel right. There's been loads of games since Nights that are weird and there's been loads of indie games, especially in kind of like the last decade or so, that are specifically different or interesting or have these kind of like hidden elements. But I don't think we'll ever again have this kind of like first party published, almost AAA weird game like Knights that was built on arcade foundations, but expanded in all these these kind of strange ways that just weren't communicated. And I really like strange games and I think Knights is is one of the strangest. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's a very very weird experience and I think that particular brand of weird is reserved for for Sega at that time certainly but especially for for Knights and almost Knights alone. 
Like it's it's a it's a real experience is is the best way to categorize it. And and like you mentioned last time, you can get it on semi modern platforms. It is available on the 360 and the PS3, I think, still, or, or via Steam. And I think it is worth checking out because it, it is unlike any other game. It is a very different thing. Uh, and I think it's it's worth a reappraisal. Not necessarily a remake, but but a reappraisal of just that initial framework and what it was trying to do that was so different at the time. I agree, as you know. <laughs> One week agreement. When I was writing my blurb for it last week. I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to hear Chris talk about this. I knew, I knew it, was, it was inevitable. <laughs> I was just really looking forward to hearing your perspective on it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's really, oh, it's just, it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And it's weird, like, talking about, like, the art style of it. But when this new game by Yuji Naka was announced just yesterday at the point of recording at the Xbox game showcase, it's, oh, I've forgotten what it's called already now, something Wonderland, I saw an image of... It and I just thought that looks like knights, and with good reason. Yeah. <laughs> just within the first paragraph of of the article, then that it led to it 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 mentioned knights and obviously Yuji Naka and Sonic Team and and that. So uh, yeah, I'd be I'm certainly going to be uh, going to be following that with with great interest and hope that they uh, they give themselves permission just to just to get weird with it. Yeah, it's what we need. We need more games to Not do quite that. Quite new Donk City weird. <laughs> we don't want to upset people. I think yeah. The the issue is just we need less. They're not cookie cutter games anymore because a lot of games have their own identities and everything else. But there is a certain way that sort of modern AAA games have become very homogenized, and they have mm. they have a, a sort of consistency of direction and art style, and they have a consistency of the the stories they try and tell and the way they try and expand their worlds and everything else. And it's it's just getting a bit boring. I mean, I saw a, a video just a day or two ago doing the rounds on Twitter. And someone had basically taken a lot of the first-party PlayStation games like Spider-Man and like Last of Us Part 2 and Ghosts of Tsushima. But they'd, they'd kind of done like a supercut where like one impactful punch then would bleed into the next game and whatever. And a lot of people were holding this up as being this amazing kind of example of where games have progressed to as a medium. And, and one particular commentator just said, or oh, it's just showcasing how boring this is all getting. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that kind of like eight, nine completely distinct experiences can be bottled down to a one minute video where they could all easily interchangeably work with one another. It just goes to show that yeah. we're not really innovating in the same way that something like Knights did. Yeah. Because that that could not blend into any game. Exactly. It, it, it would not it would not work. Yeah, I mean it's like it's was like I sort of mentioned about The Last of Us about how it sacrifices a lot of things video games offer a story. The medium of video games offer a story in order to tell it. And it's it and looking at games like Ghost of Tsushima and and you know other similar games like this it's like that they that developers and and also to, I mean to be fair because people are buying it of consumers as well see that actually the benchmark for video games is to make it as most like a movie as possible yeah and I and which I really don't think is it, it should be the benchmark and it means that it does forego gameplay innovation and it means that you can do like you said a supercut between like eight different games that are playing exactly the same. It's why I'm so glad that there are so many ways for indie developers to get their games out these days, you know, if it's through Steam or through Nintendo eShop or just just with things like Kickstarter and and stuff like that and crowdsourcing because, you know, they like games like I played last week Superliminal, it shows that there is there are developers out there who are still you know, pushing the envelope, pushing the boundaries of of, of what video games can do, and, and what what makes it so special aside from 
all the other media. Yeah, it does things or, or allows developers to do things that other passive linear mediums don't allow. Yeah. If, if we're not trying to showcase that or we're not trying to explore those avenues, like you say before, it's like, why isn't a game like The Last of Us considered as a, a TV serial or, or why isn't it considered as a movie first and foremost or whatever else before it makes its way to, to games? I was talking about it with a friend uh, just yesterday saying that, you know, he sees The Last of Us as, he sort of accepts like the, the criticisms I sort of had in terms of its ineligibility as a video game to be classed as a video game. And he said, yeah, it's, it's more like, you know, interactive storytelling. But then it's... <sighs> It's not because you don't have any interactivity with the story or how it's being told. It's it's still passive. It is still that just that illusion of, of control. Yeah. But there we go. It's, it's still an interesting discussion. And even though, like I said, I've, I had a fantastic time playing The Last of Us and I'm really looking forward to playing part two. I'm so glad that there are games like Knights. There are games <laughs> like Super Mario Odyssey. Like Because for me, Super Mario Odyssey, in terms of how well made a game is, that's the that's the best game that exists. Like it is nothing else feels as good to play as Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah. It just can't be beaten for what it's doing, you know. And if a game gave me the interactive storytelling of something like The Last of Us and the bits that I were playing felt as good to play as Mario Odyssey, I, I wouldn't have any complaints. All you need is The Last of Us to give Ellie a magic hat. That's it. That's it. And then you can you can possess the little clicky guys and you can possess some guy's gun and you can you can possess the old shank yeah. you're going to stick in someone's neck it'd be so much better yeah i'd love to see a shiv with a mustache <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> so there we have it another three games from us three cents first of all we had super mario odyssey and then we had saints row 4 before finally knights into dreams dot 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 exclamation mark question mark in terror bang <laughs> Uh, if you've <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do subscribe to the podcast, share it on social media. We'd love to see it when you do that. You can engage with us on social media as well, facebook.com forward slash our three cents. Chat to us on there, take us to task about our opinions, engage in discussions with us as well. We love that as well. Oh, we just, oh, we love it. We love talking video games in any way that we can. And you can do that with us on an individual, personal basis as well by going to Twitter and you can find me at Jonathan Dunn. I'm hiding at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. You don't want to miss out on some of the amazing streaming content that we've got coming over the next few weeks and also if you're really enjoying what we're doing do check out our patreon page patreon.com forward slash our three cents and pledge a few pennies of your support in exchange for some amazing perks and please do join us next time for our 28th favorite video games of all time wow god what a great episode that was stop there How does Bloodborne stack up against, say, Oregon Trail? And is Bomberman just Loadrunner from a different point of view? Find out on Hardcore Gaming 101's Top Games, where we objectively, definitively, and scientifically rank the games you nominate for our ever-growing list. HG 101's Top Games, twice a week, every week, right here on Greenlit. Hey, do you enjoy your commute but want to make it a little worse? It's real dumb. We hate ourselves. Hey guys, you ever like something? Well, you won't in this case. Men Like That, a podcast.